Here's what's coming up in this episode of the Summit for Wellness podcast. I usually start by telling people I hated running. It was uh, punishment because I, I, I grew up playing soccer. And as anybody who plays an agility sport like soccer knows, distance running is, is like a nemesis. And that's what you do when you get in trouble. So I never really liked it much was once I left the Gray Institute and I had all this knowledge of biomechanics and things that I didn't necessarily learn that way um, in school, um, I came back to my clinical setting and the parameters and the rules and the forms and things like that, the the traditional clinical setting um, was starting to not fit into what I wanted to do with runners because um, as we know, a runner can come in with a problem in their right foot and it can be related to their left shoulder. And when you have, I would have sometimes only 15 or 20 minutes with somebody and that's just not enough to be able to go through all the different issues, especially in the running population where it can be so, so complex and there's so many things, different leaves to turn over. The new saying is, is sitting is the new smoking. And, you know, it's one of those things that uh, you can have a, somebody who's a marathon runner in training, but if you sit at a, at a desk for eight hours a day, plus you come home and after you do your run, then you're going to sit. Or you're, if you're going to travel to work, it is just a fact that our society is now a sitting society. And that is something that it's ex- extremely alarming um, because it's creating, even in non-runners, it's creating a whole host of medical issues but for runners in particular who already have uh, tight hip flexors and then you add sitting on top of it, oh, and you add, by the way, we don't like to stretch very much. So it's absolutely what you said. And, and those tight hip flexors will not allow the gluteal muscles to be activated. Welcome to the Summit for Wellness podcast, where we help you climb to the peak of your health. And now, here is your host, Brian Carroll. Welcome back to the Summit for Wellness podcast. I've missed you all. We took about a month break to finish off the summer um, and just kind of get things reorganized with our um, content creation and everything that we're doing on our end. So I'm glad to be back. Uh, We're back at it with a podcast. We're going to be bringing a lot more uh, for you guys so that you guys can hear. And we're actually going to be launching into kind of a mini series um, based off of uh, one of our most popular episodes that we had, which was um, episode 12, which is Soft Tissue Health with Lenny Parasino, which can be found at summitforwellness.com slash 12. Um, And it seems like a lot of people are really interested in the soft tissue world, the movement world, um, the functional movement, and all that type of stuff, which is great to see because usually that's the stuff that uh, most people take for granted and don't really put a whole lot of thought into. So uh, with that being said, uh, the next couple episodes here will be all about uh, different movement modalities and ways to recover from um, any type of activity that you're doing and how to improve your running and stuff like that. So um, stay tuned to our next episode, which will actually be our first video podcast. So we do have the video podcast starting to roll out. Um, And we should have more of those coming up soon as well. So in this episode, uh, we are talking all about ways to improve your running and how to um, improve your performance and your recovery times with running. And we have a fantastic guest based out of Arizona. Her name is Nicole Armbrust, and she is a runner herself. She's done a lot of uh, marathons and whatnot. Um, so, And she has an amazing clinic and clinical practice with runners. So um, I'm really excited to have her on. She brought a ton of energy to the episode, which is great. And one of the things that we talked about within the episode was um, 
nutrition for running and we briefly touched on it uh, we didn't go that detailed into it so what I have done is I have created a mini um, ebook for you all about running nutrition and how to fuel yourself for whatever type of running you do whether it's short distance long distance somewhere in between so if you go to summitforwellness.com slash 18 download then you can get that free uh, running nutrition ebook or if you are um, on your phone, then you can always text running nutrition as one word to 314-665-1767 and you can receive your free download. Okay, a couple episodes ago, I was talking about a product that I've been using as um, an adaptogen to help with adrenal stress and to also improve um just overall energy, especially um, with so much going on in life, some sometimes we just need a little boost of energy. And having an adaptogen, which helps um, alleviate stress down at the cellular cellular level, is something that is a fantastic addition to whatever uh, nutritional protocol or supplement protocol that you might be on. Um, and so since I don't drink coffee or anything like that, I have been using a product called Hannah one. Um, and it's got a ton of different, uh, herbal remedies in it, a bunch of adaptogens. And I just throw it into a, a morning smoothie and it has been doing absolute wonders for my energy levels throughout the day. So if you want to give it a try, it does kind of have a little herby taste, which I don't mind. I taste the cinnamon more than anything else. But if you go to summitforwellness.com slash Hannah, that's H-A-N-A-H, you can learn more about the product and see if it's something that you might want to implement. Okay, now let's get right to the show all about how to improve your running. Our guest today is Nicole Armbrus. She is a physical therapist by training, a runner by choice, and a running specialist with passion. She has been a physical therapist for the past 17 years. She received her master's of physical therapy in 2000, became an orthopedic certified specialist in 2010, and completed a 40-week fellowship program from the Gray Institute in 2011, where she became a fellow of applied functional science. She has been a runner for more than 20 years, completing 30-something marathons, um, including 10 Boston Marathon finishes. She got her toes wet in the sport of triathlon, completing the Ironman in Arizona in 2010, and therefore speaks the language of runners. During the time she practiced in a clinical setting, she developed a cash-based running program and became interested in utilizing human performance technology with runners. This led to a partnership with Neuroxin Inc. USA and the genesis of her own company, Jumpstart Running. Nicole describes herself as an outlier when it comes to her medical background. Her mission is to focus on the runner, not the injury, and she plans to reverse the high incidence of running injuries with technology, education, and love for the running community. Welcome, Nicole, to the show. Hey, Brian. Thank you so very much. I'm glad to have you on the show. I think the last time that I saw you, uh, you were actually dancing on a stage to a Michael Jackson <laughs> song to demonstrate a unique biomechanical analysis machine for the human body that you were um, discussing in your presentation. Well, and there it is. We're just going to start right <laughs> out with that, aren't we? <laughs> hey, it caught everybody off guard and it showed the power of technology. So Yes, well, and thank God it, it makes me sound not so boring as that bio makes me sound. So thank you. <laughs> of course. So can you go into what brought you into running? What brought about this passion for you? Sure. And thanks for asking. And, and actually, I usually start by telling people I hated running. It was uh, punishment because I, I, I grew up playing soccer. And as anybody who plays an agility sport like soccer knows, distance running is, is like a nemesis. And that's what you do when you get in trouble. So I never really liked it much. But then once I got to college, they, uh, they didn't have a women's running program. It was before Title IX at that school. And now I'm making myself uh, look a little bit older. But that's okay. We're embracing age. But uh, anyway, <laughs> I stopped playing sports and was partying and realized... It was either the, the water in my college was, at my college was shrinking my clothes or I needed to start some form of physical activity. So 
I uh, figured out it was the ladder and decided to start moving. And uh, I went to a, a pretty rural uh, college at Central Michigan University, but fell in love with the open road. And that's kind of where it all started. So how long into your running career before you decided to try some marathons? Um, yeah, it's a great question. It wasn't until I, um, I, I finished physical therapy school in 2000, and that was in May. And ironically, I thought, well, I better figure out, as, as many runners will attest to, some of us can be, well, have some addictions here and there. And luckily, mine turned into uh, running and pizza, which kind of cancel each other out. But I decided once I finished school, um, I needed something else to do. So that's when I started training more and more. And I did my first marathon the fall of uh, 2000 in October in uh, Detroit. Awesome. So when you were training for the marathon, did you come down with any kind of injuries? Because it seems like a lot of runners end up with injuries of some sort. Yeah, that's another great question. I didn't on the first one. And granted, I had no idea what I was doing. And I, I hadn't even decided to specialize in running. For me, it was just kind of goofing around. Um, I didn't with that training. But the more training that I started to do, the worst, I, I had some some little things here and there, but the worst thing I ended up with, um, there was a series I was training for a race and I ended up with double stress fractures in the, uh, in the lower tibia. Um, so that was, that was probably my worst one. So with all the running, um, you came from a traditional physical therapy background where they focus more on the injury. Once you did start getting injuries, did that change the way that you started to approach, um, your treatment practices? It did. And um, not only just from my personal experience, but, you know, then any practitioner knows that once you start to see a few runners yourself, then everybody starts to migrate towards you. So I not only felt the, the need to figure out how to take care of my own rehab, because I will be honest, the, the, what happened when I had the double stress fractures, I went to the doctor and um, the physician assistant wanted to put me in... <laughs> wanted to put me in, um, in two separate uh, boots. And I said, it was around the time of Halloween, and I said, this would be great so I could look like Frankenstein, but I can't walk around and <laughs> practice. There's no way that that was applicable for my lifestyle. So she wasn't paying attention to me and what I needed as, as a runner. And um, so that's when I decided I needed to, to learn a little bit more about what happens and then... Uh, start helping other runners as well as I was talking to other runners at races and realized, you know, there was, there was not enough detail spent in school and it's not a fault by any means. It's just a specialty population that's very, very difficult to treat. So I decided I would start obsessing on it then, see if I could help more people. So how long was it until you uh, discovered the Gray Institute? Because they're a little different approach to a physical therapy and rehab and training. Um, and it's probably more in line with what you like to do with runners now. So how long did it take before you discovered that type of treatment? Yeah, it was, uh, let's see, I was in, in Phoenix, Arizona. I worked for um, company called Spooner Physical Therapy. And I'm so grateful to them because they introduced me to um, the, the gift program. So I had taken a chain reaction course when I was in Michigan, probably, I think it was around 2009. And as you probably can attest to the first time I sat and listened to Gary Gray, I felt like my eyebrows got blown off with information because I had no idea what he was talking about. It was awesome, but I had no idea what it meant. But at the same time, I was really intrigued by it. So, um, in 2011, I had the privilege of being accepted uh, from Spooner Physical Therapy um, to go to the Gray Institute as part of the mentorship. And I describe that experience as changing my clinical practice uh, with, with everything from going from black and white to color. So then after the Gray Institute and learning all this more functional movement stuff, then you started working more with runners and starting to create your own system, which eventually led into your Jumpstart running program, correct? Yeah, that's correct. The, the thing that was really tough for me was once I left the Gray Institute and I had all this knowledge of you know, biomechanics and things that I didn't necessarily learn that way um, in school, um, 
I came back to my clinical setting and the parameters and the rules and the forms and things like that, the, the traditional clinical setting um, was starting to not fit into what I wanted to do with runners because, um, as we know, a runner can come in with a problem in their right foot and it can be related to their left shoulder. And when you have, I would have sometimes only 15 or 20 minutes with somebody and that's just not enough to be able to go through all the different issues, especially in the running population where it can be so, so complex and there's so many things, different leaves to turn over. So, um, it start, I started, and granted, I, I loved it more and more. I loved the challenge of working with runners and trying to figure things out, but it wasn't, I wasn't fitting in the traditional medical model of you get X amount of time with somebody because then I would have three people waiting for me and I would get further and further behind and that led to a lot of problems. So it, it just, it was not fitting anymore. And eventually the story is I ended up getting fired from my job which is how I ended up saying, you know, once that happened, I kind of, it was kind of a no brainer. It was kind of like life hit me over the head with a two by four saying, why don't you start your own practice? Yeah, that's a great way to get started in the right direction with what you want to do. So one of the buzzwords out there is functional, functional movement, anything along those lines. Can you talk about what exactly functional movement means to you and how does it apply to running? Yeah, it's, I, I love that you asked this question. I was just thinking about it this morning, that it is such a buzzword and people, it, it's interesting because it gets people's attention, but a lot of times if you ask them, what does it really mean? They have a hard time describing it. So for me, what it means, especially in terms with running is the way the body is supposed to move. And I will take that a step further. It's, it's become so sim simplistic when I'm working with a client and I ask them to do something for me, and I'd say, well, how about if you move a little bit this way? And they say, oh, that feels good. That's functional movement to me. That's the way that the body is supposed to move. It's what happens is our bodies will oftentimes, um, you know, take the path of least resistance and go the easy route, which is not the way we're supposed to move. And so that's where we end up with imbalances and things like that. But I would say the simplest way I can describe functional movement pertaining to runners is movement the way that the body was was originally designed to move. So this is an audio podcast, so it's kind of hard to visualize what um, non-functional would be. So can you give a couple examples? Yeah, I'm standing on the back deck. It's too bad you can't see me because I'm swirling around in a circle and doing a lot of rotational movements. But um, <laughs> um, I, I think probably the biggest example when it comes to running is... Um, oftentimes we will see there's a, a syndrome that we will often see with many runners and it comes down to overuse of the quadricep muscles and underuse of the gluteal muscles, particularly in distance runners. Now, if it, to give you a visualization, since you don't want the visualization of me dancing on the back patio, if you can think about the position that a sprinter gets into when they go to take off at say a hundred meter dash and you can choose your favorite uh, sprinter's anatomy to envision and if you look down at their butt muscles they've got really strong muscles their shorts are filled out they're down in a in a position and they explode from the gate but if you think about um, marathon running and distance running what happens is people end up in more of an upright posture and the difference is is the duration of the activity because over time most people's bodies aren't built for that endurance and their body will end up cheating and go what into find its own position of, of least resistance. And so what will usually happen is the gluteal muscles which are designed to help us help the hip extend, those end up shutting off and we rely more on our gluteal or I'm sorry, on our quadricep muscles or our front thigh muscles, which brings on a whole lot more um, patellar uh, patellar femoral problems in the knee for a lot of people. So do you also find that with um, this sitting society that we have now that a lot of uh, hip flexors might tighten up, which externally rotates through the thigh bones and turns off the glutes even more? Absolutely. We're, um, we, the new saying is, is sitting is the new smoking. And, you know, it's one of those things that uh, you can have a, somebody who's a marathon runner 
in training, but if you sit at a, at a desk for eight hours a day, plus you come home and after you do your run, then you're going to sit, or if you're going to travel to work. It is just a fact that our society is now a sitting society, and that is something that it's ex extremely alarming um, because it's creating, even in non-runners, it's creating a whole host of medical issues, but for runners in particular who already have uh, tight hip flexors, and then you add sitting on top of it, Oh, and you add, by the way, we don't like to stretch very much. So it's absolutely what you said. And, and those tight hip flexors will not allow the gluteal muscles to be activated. I like that you mentioned that we don't like to stretch very much. And that's not just the people that sit all day long and don't get exercise. That's also a lot of people that do exercise. So going into a running program, how do you start to bring forward a stretching program and getting people to actually stick with it? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question because especially, you know, and, and I, I'm very fortunate that I, I wear two hats and one hat is as a movement practitioner, as a running special specialist, but the other hat is as a runner and you ask any runner we don't like to stretch. I mean, it's just one of those things. But, but now, what I'm finding as a master's runner, um, I'm 43 now, and I've been running for 23 years. I'm finding that I can't, I can't avoid it. I have to. But the the problem is, is a lot of the stretching that's out there, it doesn't work because it's what you call, you know, quote unquote, traditional stretching. Whether or not it's something that you pull up on. Google or whether it's something that, you know, your old high school track coach used to show you where you're holding, you know, you can just envision somebody standing and pulling their ankle up to their butt and they say, count to 30 seconds. Well, who wants to do that? I certainly don't want to count for 30 seconds and it doesn't really help. So it's mostly the non-traditional stretching stuff that doesn't really seem to make sense. Um, so I'm finding more and more that as a group, as runners, I don't blame a lot for not stretching because a lot of the stuff that's out there doesn't seem to work very well. So uh, what do you do differently to um, create better stretch programs? Well, I got older. So <laughs> I got I got older and then I, as, a, as a former competitive runner, I, I took a little time off and um, then I got coerced by some friends, some crazy friends to get back and do some crazy trail race. And as I was starting to get back into it again, I would make all these sounds when I would go to get up from a chair and recognize that, okay, we're going to have to work on our mobility a little bit more. And it was because of what I've, the things I'd learned at the Gray Institute about functional movement and saying, okay, I can't stretch the way that I used to. Well, let me try adding in some of this three-dimensional stuff that I did at the Gray Institute maybe in a kneeling position, maybe in a standing position. Let's just try moving in all these different directions. I realize, hey, it still hurts because I'm, you know, I've got still got tight muscles, but it feels like it's actually doing something. And I recognize that by just experimenting for my own aging body, that stuff started feeling better. And so then I thought, huh, well, I know what I feel like, but if I can try this with a couple clients, so I had a few clients and I came up with a few different movement sequences and I had them try it and they seemed to really like it and their mobility improved. I thought, huh, let's go a step further. And then that's when I decided to uh, create an online stretching program to help more people, you know, so they don't have to go into Google and find the stuff that doesn't really seem to help. You mentioned three planes of motion, and I just want to touch a quick base on that. So three planes of motion, one of the planes is a forward and back motion, one is side to side, and the last one is a rotational one. So by incorporating all three of those planes of motion into a stretch, you basically move the tissues in all 360-degree motions and whatnot, so you're activating the, the tissues a lot differently. Absolutely. Yeah. And one of the things that happens when we run, you know, those muscles contract. And so they're not contracting just in a single plane. They're contracting three-dimensionally the way that they were designed to do so. So if you think about, especially in a sport like running, where you contract, 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 contract over and over, well, if you don't lengthen those tissues out, not just in one direction, but in all of those directions that you mentioned, it makes sense that people would say that stretching doesn't work. Well, if you're just lengthening them in one plane of motion, you're not getting them, you know, you can almost, here's an analogy. You think of like if you had a ball of pizza dough 
And if you just pulled it in one direction, it's not going to be for, you're going to have a calzone. So I guess if you like calzone, that's fine because you're going to have a single, single dimension. But if you, want a, if you want a round pizza, you want to stretch that dough in as many directions as possible. And it's lengthened out in the way that you want to. Can you go into why it's important to have length in the tissues? Absolutely. Um, one of the reasons is because that's what, and this is what's really tricky for people to understand is because, you know, when we say, what are the things, what are some things that a runner needs to have? And we say, well, you need to have flexibility or you need to have mobility. And they'd say, well, how much? And we say, well, enough. Well, what does that mean? It's really difficult to quantify, but the reason why you need it is because there is a certain, it's, I guess you could call it a sweet spot. So the muscle is designed to function, and the best analogy I can, I can give you is a slingshot. So if you think about, if you're going to shoot a rock across at, your, at somebody you either like or you don't like, you're, you're going to pull that slingshot back. So if you're trying to get it the furthest, that, if you want trying to get the optimal use out of that slingshot, are you going to pull the slingshot halfway back, or are you going to pull it as far back as you can possibly get it, let go and get your ultimate power. So that's why um, stretching is basically restoring the tissue length so the tissues can function at optimal power. And then with the, the chairborne society we have now, all the tissues are kind of coming in towards the midline instead of opening up like they traditionally would. Absolutely. So I, I think that, you know, it's a wonder we're not all bent over looking at the ground. So I think that's the, that's the quickest way for somebody to figure out, okay, what do I need to do to stretch? Open up. <laughs> Arms and legs just open up and just go in the opposite direction of the movement that we're doing for most of the day, which is unfortunately sitting. With running, running is traditionally looked at as a single plane of motion, typically just forward and back. However, we know that, um, whether it's sports related or anything else, there's a lot of side to side and a rotational component as well. So when you're working with a runner, are you training them not just in running, but maybe also sidestepping or anything along those lines? Absolutely. And that's what gets really, really fun. We are never bored when we're doing our training. And actually the position that I'm probably training them in the least is the, is the same movement that you would see in running. But if you slow a runner down and you use, you know, a high speed film, you would see that even though the direction is linear, there's a whole lot of different activity going on in a side to side motion and rotational motion. So that's usually somebody, most of the over people, when people come in with overuse injuries, I'm staying out of the traditional or what we call the sagittal plane, because that's the plane that usually caused their, their injury. So the, the first thing I want to do is start training them in the frontal plane or side to side or rotational movements, because nine times out of 10, they haven't been doing much training, um, in those planes. Cause if you think about, that's why sometimes, you know, I don't necessarily, I know a lot of runners, they hear the term cross training and they start to cringe a little bit. And I don't blame them because a lot of the cross training is elliptical sagittal plane. Uh, you think about the a, a stationary bike sagittal plane. What does that do for the hip flexors? So, you know, it's not truly fixed. It's not going to fix the problem. Um, if that's something of a, a mobility issue in the hip. Now, you could get into things like swimming and that, but that's a whole separate thing. But absolutely, spending as much time out of the, the sagittal plane for a runner, I think, is a fantastic idea. Which, going back to um, the injuries, when someone comes into you with an injury, um, instead of taking away their teddy bear, which is running, <laughs> how do you then adapt your program in order to be able to keep them doing what they love, but to still be effectively treating the injuries? I've heard that expression before, and I love it, and um, I think it's so wise. And this is where Gary Gray and the Gray Institute have made such a huge impact on all of us, is that it, the number one thing it, it, you know, that I have learned is to, to listen and to care. And to, the first thing that somebody does when they come in to see me is, is I, just, I just thank them. Thank them for coming in to see me because nine times out of 10, they're really, really frustrated, especially a runner who can't run. You, you don't really get much more frustration than that. So unless it is you know, a confirmed stress fracture or torn muscle, 
I tell them, we're not going to take away the tag. I'm going to let you, I'm not going to tell you not to run unless there's, you know, specifically something that's physiologically puts them at risk. But if it's a musculoskeletal issue, we're usually able to nail it down. And the best part is we're able to let them see together what that problem is. And then that allows them to see, oh, I can see where this is coming from. But, you know, and if I say, okay, now that you see what the issue is, you know, it makes a lot more sense that we can, you know, and then we can negotiate depending on how severe it is. Is it one day a week that you run? Is it, you know, maybe reduce mileage? Is it this? So it, it really depends on the individual. But absolutely, you know, unless it was one of those extreme cases, the last thing I want to do is tell a runner not to run. That's like taking their oxygen away. And then if, let's say I came to you for it because I had an injury from running, what is your steps to go through in order to assess me and what the actual problem is? We know that it's not a torn muscle. We know it's not a stress stress fracture. What do you do? Yep. So first thing I'm going to do is, is listen to you. I, I think that's such an important piece. And I, to any of the, you know, uh, clinicians, practitioners, and coaches out there, the, we have to just, I think we've lost the art of listening to the person that's coming in to see us because they will tell you what the problem is. But, and this was a problem in, in what my clinical practice. I had maybe five, 10 minutes to get a history on somebody and that's not enough time. So I think it's, you know, being able to listen to the person, ask questions of them, ask them about their training, ask them what their symptoms are like. So it is, and my brother teases me, he says, it, he likes to call me Barbara Walters. And, you know, just because I'll spend maybe 20 minutes getting to interview somebody, because not only that, you're, you're asking questions, but then you're also, that person is sitting in the chair going, wait a minute, they're listening to me, which is something that unfortunately doesn't happen in, you know, with most runners are, you know, they fill out a form and runners have a lot of things to say. <laughs> and, and so it's pretty rare that they get to say everything that they want to say. So if that is one of the most important things is being able to hear somebody out. So I'll spend about 20 minutes doing that. Then we'll go through, say, a, you know, what I call my quote unquote clinical assessment, which is getting somebody on the table for about 10, five, 10 minutes, feeling what their tissues are like, um, just kind of quickly scanning that. And then being able to have them do a standing and, you know, a mobility assessment. Whereas, you know, whether I have them going through different movements, you know, the Gray Institute's 3D maps to be able to eyeball some things that may jump out at me. But it really is a trifecta of, of an assessment on the first day of listening, feeling, and, and watching the individual. So it's a bunch of variations of lunges and walking and gait assessment and stuff like that? Yeah, and it, it, it just depends on the individual if there are sometimes, and, and I have the blessing of having some extra technology um, on hand, but, you know, I started out with, with just my eyes. And so it's, that's what a lot of clinicians will say is, that, well, I don't have equipment or I don't have this. Well, you, you know, you've got your eyes and you've got the beautiful mind and you're able to figure out, okay, I got to start somewhere. And it starts with listening to the person. And then you just keep practicing and practicing and talking to more people and deciding if the person, you know, if they have an issue and it only happens when they run, well, let's see what happens when you run. So it all depends. And, and, you know, I may or may not use technology, but absolutely, if the person, you know, if a runner comes in to see you, you nine times out of 10, you want to take a look at them running and doing what it is that that's causing them a problem. Now let's talk about that technology a little bit, because the when I saw you use it, you use it to um, map your dance moves. So can you talk about how you use that within a running analysis? Yeah, I guess the, you know, $30,000 of, uh, of uh, research equipment probably wasn't meant to be used for dance moves, but it was a great way to just uh, show how, um, you know, that how important movement is. And so uh, there's a couple different pieces of technology that I use. One is, is video, and I think that that's the easiest thing, and that's the first thing that people can access is, and especially with a basic phone. iPhone, you can slow that down and just start watching people, and you can just kind of see, you know, as Gary teaches us that we're, we're looking for big rocks and see if they've got, even if you don't know what it is or why, you can say, oh, I, I can see something there. 
and then you can take some time and, and go after it. Uh, the second thing that I'm, I have access to is um, I am very fortunate to have had great rapport with, uh, you mentioned Naraxon, the, the company that has, uh, they're basically able to measure uh, their human movement uh, metrics. And so the second thing that I use is wireless EMG, which is basically surface electrodes that are able to tell if a muscle is, you know, is it is it firing? Is the right side firing more than the left? Um, I use it for biofeedback so a runner can see the difference if they tend to be more quad dominant, do they tend to be more glute dominant, and it helps them with their exercise program. But there's, you know, there's lots of different technologies. They also have a force plate now, which I'm putting on my Christmas list for this year to be able to measure kind of a, the force for a runner being able to measure single leg power is, is going to be huge. So I think that with time, we're seeing more and more advances in technology. But again, there's a whole spectrum out there, and I don't want people to be afraid and think that they have to have some technology. That's just out there. The best technology is y- your hands, your head, and your heart. Right, which is great, and that's all stuff that you will never be without. Mm-hmm. So... When it comes to runners, can you talk about uh, some of the big hitters of areas that typically need to be worked on, such as for a stretching program or a strength training program? Right. The the I think kind of the big three, since we learn at the Gray Institute, we like things in three. And so um, I, I think the, the first one we, we alluded to a little bit is, is um, mobility. You have to have a certain amount of flexibility or the range of movement to be able to run, to be able to, running is an impact sport. The the body has to be able to adapt to the impact um, and have enough range of motion to allow that to happen. And then the second thing is to be, have stability um, in the body. Uh, One of the, one of my favorite um, and a great physical therapist up there. His name is Jay DeSherry. He's in Bend, Oregon. Uh, he's done a lot for the physical therapy profession, done a lot for a lot of runners and skiers, and I can't tell you how many different professionals, but he, I'm going to steal his analogy because it's fantastic. And if um, you, you get a runner on one leg and ask him to do a squat, and you watch and see what the, what is their motion like. And a lot of times with a lot of runners, the analogy is, it looks like they're trying to shoot a cannon out of a canoe. And that's just goes to show that most of the time we don't put enough work into being stable, so to speak, which is having the neuromuscular strength and balance and, you know, that, that everything is working together. Gary talks, and he got this from Dr. George Sheehan, but he talks about the um, trilogy of the, the big toe, the belly, and the butt, and that all three... The, the big toe, the abdominal and core muscles, and the glute muscles need to be able to talk to one another, and that's a, a sign of stability. If one of those isn't doing their job, you get more of the, the cannon in the canoe. And, the, so, and then the third aspect is being able to ascertain strength and power. So we talked about the landing, what happens, you know, you've got to have enough range of motion to land, but then once you're in that landing or loading phase, you've got to be able to explode and get back out of it we need high levels of force in a, in a short period of time, and that's where working on power and the ability to explode off the ground is, is imperative for runners. So um, being able to, those are kind of the big three things that I think that, that we really should, <laughs> if you were to have a runner's 101 class, I'd be, I'd be working on those th- three things because a lot of t- and that's, that's what I'm hoping to change is that, you know, there was the book a couple years ago that talked about being born to run, but I think in today's society, uh, most of us are no longer built to run. And that's what I I think we need to work on is is building uh, stronger runners. That's an interesting point. Can you talk about um, body types and what people are designed more for with running? Like, is there a certain body type for long distance running? Is there a certain body type for shorter distances? And is there body types that really aren't made for long miles at all? Uh, you are very wise, my friend. So I love this question because I think that this is something that is really a great conversational piece. And I, I had just mentioned to somebody the other day. So 
I'm kind of a nerd about running and a, a kind of a big historian. And so I like to go back. I mentioned Dr. George Sheehan, and he was one of the, you know, people that had been there for the first, what we, they call the first running boom in the 1970s when they had those really tricked out shorts, the really short shorts and a lot of sweatbands. And, you know, it's the first round of minimalist shoes. And so if you, and I, there's probably some study out there on this, but I'm not big into, you know, into, I, I don't, I'm not a clinical or a research rat, but uh, if we looked at the body types of uh, the majority of runners in the 70s that were participating in races, and then we look at today's runner, I think we're going to see it's just a fact that we're just bigger as a society. So it doesn't mean that there's somebody who should or shouldn't be running because as you and I know and what we are at our core are all about movement. We want people to move so we would never discourage somebody who says, hey, I want to do this run. Well, the most important thing, but we have to look at your body and say, is your body designed to do the activity that you want to do? And if it's not, we have to spend time to prepare for it. Just as if you were to prepare, you know, and study for an exam, you know, I think that that's where so many people are getting injured now is because they see people crossing the finish line and getting a medal. Well, how much preparation are you doing for your body in order to get ready for that? And I think that's where we're having a big problem um, instead of, because people will say all the time, oh, you look like a runner. Well, you don't have to look like a runner because anybody can do it. We, you know, one of my passions is to share the joy of running, whether you do one mile every day, one, if you do it one mile every week, but I want you to be able to, to do the activity, but we need to make sure we do it in the safest way possible. So I, I think it really comes down to the individual, but we've just changed as a society and, and the, you know, the way that our bodies are. And, and I think sitting is a big, big piece of that as well. And I think we need to realize that we can't just get up and go anymore like we used to years and years ago. We actually need to train for things. We need to stretch. We need to have a mobility program mm -hmm. because we're just not set up for success if we don't have those all laid out. Absolutely. And I, I love what you're doing with you know the people that you've had on and been interviewing and the work that you're doing as well on your website you know the the I mentioned things in three but I think the fourth if we were to add a fourth aspect of this is nutrition is right there and and you're you're doing a great an amazing job of getting that word out um, and you know could probably interview yourself for a podcast on the importance of of you know nutrition and and fueling the body but that's something that you know I hate to say it that as I'm getting older I can't fuel the way <laughs> you can't have M&Ms for breakfast uh, as you can't get away with it in your 40s like you could in your in your 20s no more pizza for you well I did just have a slice about an hour ago but that's <laughs> <laughs> so I will be honest but uh, but I am paying attention. I, I did have, I think I had a piece of basil on it, so I can say that I'm getting my green vegetables. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm not going to do a whole podcast on uh, nutrition for running, but what I did do is create an ebook for nutrition for the running athlete. So if you go to summitforwellness.com slash 18 download, then you can download that ebook for free. So let's, let's briefly talk talk about the younger generation a little bit. If you had a group of 20-something-year-olds come to you to get better for running, but they don't want to, you know, they don't want to stretch. They don't see the benefit in it. How do you bring forth this information to actually get them to do it? Because at that age, they're still at that age where it doesn't really make a difference in their minds, but obviously as the older we get, we see that... Um, how important it is. So how do you bring it to their attention and get them to actually follow it? You are so good with your questions. I'm so proud of you. This is, this has been awesome. So <laughs> well, that's, thank a, you. I, I love that you asked that question because it is a huge, huge problem. You know, that's something that, uh, just including with my clients that, and if they come in, you know, and when we were in our twenties, you just bounce back from things. But, um, one of the, th I do have a story for this that I can, I can share with you, a personal example. I've got a, um, a friend of mine in Phoenix that I train, uh, when I, when I lived there, I was training, you know, a couple times a week, but then I moved to, um, Western Massachusetts, but through the power of technology, I'm still able to do, um, FaceTime treatment sessions. And 
for a long time, I was working with one of the clients who was a little bit older. He was, say, uh, in early 50s and working on mobility. And then there was another gentleman who early 20s said, I don't need that stretching stuff. I don't need any of that stuff. Well, over time, you know, there started to be some changes and improvement in, you know, my original clients running and he was getting faster and it was less effort. And so then the, the 20 year old said, well, wait a minute, you know, but he was poo pooing it at first. And so then we kept telling him and telling him, but it wasn't until he said, well, I'm going to try it for myself. And once he tried it, then he was like, oh my God, I'm sore. I'm this and that and the next thing, but my running is getting better. So I think to answer your question, we can talk all we want. And this is the beauty of what we have learned at the, from the Gray Institute. It's the functional movements, the movements that feel like they're, like they're actually helping the body. That's what I firmly believe gets people to realize hey, I think this can really help my running. Because it's not good. It's kind of like, you know, mom talking to, you know, one of her kids. She could say it all she wants, but the, and the kid's kind of like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But then if the, you know, if the kid tries something, hey, did you know this is the greatest thing ever? Yeah, yeah we, that's what we've been trying to tell you. So I think just by doing it instead of hearing it, um, that's one of the things that's going to help. And you can definitely uh, trickle that in in a secret way with a lot of the movements, getting that stretching in with various movements, and they will be sore. And for a lot of those younger people, if they're sore, then it means to them that it's working, so they'll keep doing it. Absolutely. And, you know, it's just kind of, and the best part is, is they're sore in places that they haven't been sore in. You know, instead of the quadricep muscles or, you know, biceps from a workout that they've done, they're getting hit with muscles in different places and say, hey, this is kind of cool. And so then they're just intrigued and want to come back. And, and you, you're absolutely right that it's stretching and strengthening at the same time. Awesome. Do you have any other tips and tricks you want to share with us, Nicole? Um, I think that probably the, the, like we said, we talked about the top three things that that a runner needs as far as mobility, stability, and, and working on that power. I, I, what, one thing I do want to say is because most of us, uh, society is busier now than we've ever been ever before. And so I want to make sure that people know that it's not an hour of being at the gym. It's not an hour of cross training. It's not an hour of anything unless you want it to be, but you can get specific, really good workouts, even in as little as 15 minutes. But, you know, I am begging people to really, I think that this is where, again, where we have these injury rates that are so high because our bodies are not prepared for the impact that we put on them. So if we can say, give me 15 minutes, you know, two, two times a week at a minimum, just to start with and say 15 to 20 minutes to prepare your body for this activity that you love. I, I think that's where we can negotiate and say, okay, if you're telling me, and I'm not taking away any of your running, I'm just saying, you've just got to add in so you can continue to do what you love to do for as long as you want to do it. Awesome. So you have your website, Jumpstart Running, where people can find you, and you just released a new program that people can uh, improve their running with. Can you talk about that? Yeah, thank you. Thank you for asking. And uh, as we had discussed, uh, it's, it's in transition right now, so I'm really under the gun to make this thing happen. But I had a previous um, mobility program that was good, but I've gotten some new um, movements added in, and it's called jumpstartstretch.com. And we're going to have a couple different things. If nothing else, there's I'm going to make sure I put a couple free mobility drills on there because... I want people to make sure that they, you know, that there's something for every level. There's a just so people can try it out. Um, there's going to be a little mini course set up for, especially for runners, a specific warm-up routine to do before a race, what to do before a run, and then uh, there's also going to be things for uh, practitioners and clinicians as far as what do you do with your clients? What are some good movements to take people through? Um, again, so it's just kind of an all-in-one place where people can go to to have these different movements where it saves time and it also has not only just videos 
And, and I didn't do any Michael Jackson in there, Brian, but maybe I might have to include the video as a bonus. I think you need but to. But it does, yeah, it does have some of that tech, uh, the Naraxon technology on there demonstrating what some of the movements are. So um, I, I, really, I really feel passionately about, you know, a lot, if, if I can't complain about the stretches that are out there, it, it, but I, I can do something about it. So that's why I wanted to compile all these different movements into one place so people could have a go-to um, and they can pick and choose what works for them. And once again, that's at jumpstartstretch.com. Where else can people find you on the internet, Nicole? Yeah, on my, on my website, um, jumpstartrunning.com. Uh, that's a great place for me. We're going to be doing some updates on that site as well. But um, down the road, I'm hoping to do almost a, a membership site because the most heartbreaking thing to me is when people say, I wish you lived closer. I wish that you didn't live so far away. Well, my goal in life is to reach as many, as many runners as possible and you know, again, it's not practicing medicine over the internet. It's really being able to connect and help with people. So we're going to be gearing toward a membership site, but there's a contact form on there. So I'm happy to answer any people can email. I'm happy to answer any questions and try and help as many people as possible. Do you have any social media pages that you're on to? Absolutely. Thank you for asking. We've Definitely got the Instagram. We're on um, Facebook at, at Jumpstart Running. And um, I actually, I have, a, and I have to commend you. I was looking at your YouTube videos, Brian. And by the way, you've been lifting the weights. You have gotten a, a bit more muscular since I saw you last. So great job. It's all that I was rock checking climbing. out your videos. <laughs> yeah. So that's an awesome job. Um, and so I've, I've got a, a, a YouTube channel as well that, uh, that's got some, some, some fun videos and, and some helpful videos. Great. Thank you, Nicole, for coming on and talking all about running. I know a lot of people are going to really benefit from these tips and tricks that you were able to provide, and I know they will love your program, the Jumpstart Stretch program. Absolutely, Brian. Well, I'm happy to help, and runners, we it's a topic that never gets started, so you let me know when we're ready for phase two, and I'll I promise I'll get my technology down and, and we'll, we'll have a go again. I, I really appreciate being able to, to talk to you and thank you so much for the opportunity. Of course. Next time we'll have to do videos so people can actually see what all these movements we're talking about are. They want to see if I really am dancing on the back deck. Yeah, you got to show off your skills. <laughs> I guess I better work on them then. <laughs> All right, if you want to learn more about Nicole Armbrust, go to jumpstartrunning.com. If you want to join her online uh, running program, go to jumpstartstretch.com. If you enjoyed this episode of the Summit for Wellness podcast, please go to your favorite podcast app and subscribe to our channel. And if you could leave a rating and review, that really helps other people to be able to find our show so we can continue to bring on all these amazing guests for you guys to learn from. And we will talk to everybody next time.